Well, hello, everybody. How are you tonight? It's great to have you here. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. Let's stand together. Better than standing apart, which is what the enemy wants, right? He wants us to stand apart. But no, Scripture says that, you know, the Lord not only died to save us from our sins, but to gather together as one the children of God that are scattered abroad. Isn't that an amazing verse? Such great truth. Let's bow our heads and hearts together and ask the Lord to bless our time and to continue to bring us together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come in your presence, Lord. You are so good. And tonight we want to again fix our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus, to center ourselves, Lord, and to push away so much around us that tries to cling on and distract us from you and your goodness, your mercy, your grace. And God, we ask as we study your word this night, that you would just continue to anoint Pastor Frank, Lord. I anoint him this night that your word may be just piercing again to our hearts, Lord, revealing again of your truth. And God, we just want to cling to you and what we learned tonight. And we ask that you help us remember what we learned, that we can live it, truly be disciples of Jesus, but also to share what we learned, Lord, to proclaim from the rooftops your grace, your mercy, and your great love. And Father, we ask that you be honored this night as we celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen.
sacrifice, an offering of praise to our Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. You alone are worthy, Lord.
You alone. 
Uh, give the Lord a hand clap for his offering. You are good, Lord. You are good. When there's nothing good in me.
Kids, you can go. Have fun. You can be seated. How y'all doing? So I'm going to share a message with you tonight that um, I've been working on for a couple of weeks that has nothing, or I had no idea what would happen on Monday night with the letter being released from the Supreme Court um, concerning what seems to be the way the Supreme Court is going to overturn R.V. Wade. And um, so there's a, there's a definite tie-in and a relevance of what I'll share with you uh, tonight. 
So stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to, um, I'm going to, I'm actually going to read to you. We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 20, but I'm going to read to you from first King, uh, second Kings chapter 23, 26 and 27. It says, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from his fierceness of his great wrath in with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. And Father of God, trying times, times of, um, of great testing and tribulation in our country. And Father God, I just pray, Lord God, for those who have ears tonight, let them hear. And Father God, take, Lord God, your word with them. May it, Lord God, move them to repentance, to prayer, Lord God, to daily intercession, Lord God, for our nation, for our land. And Father God, I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message is Manasseh's Sin, uh, King Manasseh's Sin. And um, again, it was because of Manasseh's sin that God destroyed Jerusalem. It was because of Manasseh's sin that Judah ended up getting dispersed throughout the Babylonian kingdom. So um, we're going to look at that. So Manasseh's sin caused the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar, it's throughout the scripture, came, destroyed the city, destroyed the walls. He destroyed the temple, and the Jewish people were taken into captivity Throughout Babylon, they were dispersed throughout the Babylonian kingdoms and the different nations. And um, they would, a portion of them would return 70 years later. That's prophesied, by the way, by Jeremiah. And um, you can see that, you can read about that in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. Now, just to, to, to stop, I'll just say this. In the current time that we're living in, right, and if you, you listen to people, you listen to the pundits. Where is the where is the focus? What is everybody focused on? They are they are focused on the economy, right? The crazy economy and inflation. Uh, we are in the midst of let me tell you, going through a global paradigm shift. If you understand what a paradigm shift is, this is a major global paradigm shift dealing with fiat, dealing with paper money. And I, I don't know if you realize, you're, you know, they're, they're saying the inflation rate is 8.9%. It's more like 17%. Okay, if you compare it, they say, hasn't been this high since 1979. But if you go back to 1979, there were six additional factors that were factored into inflation. This is how the government manipulates and controls the masses. If you put them all together, it's at 17% right now. So today, Chairman Powell, what did he do? He, he then, he raised, right, the interest rate by, um, by two basis points, by 50% um, of a point. And, um, you know, big, big thing. So people focused on that. I just want to say that. That's, you know, people talking about this, and you go into the gas station, you're paying 50% more in, uh, for gas, and you go and buy, you know, with chicken, and the chicken costs you 30% more, and, you know, whatever. By the way, New Jersey's inflation is about the lowest in the country. I don't know if you know that. It's much higher in the Midwest and in the South, and New Jersey's is actually very low. Are we very, I'll tell you, just New Jersey has a very strong economy, 
Um, you have a lot of very big businesses right here in New Jersey and New York. That's one of the reasons why. So that's, that's an issue. Another issue, um, there's, there's food shortages. And they're talking about now with the Ukraine and the war going on there, they didn't get the, they didn't get the seeds into the ground but there will be nations in Africa. There's going to be massive starvation. Again, Jesus, remember, he predicted that in Matthew 24, massive famines. But this is something, and we're seeing it here, right? You, you go into a food store, sometimes you can't get what you want. The shelves are, you know, are empty, or maybe there's something we've never experienced before. But again, this is something that you, you know, people are focused on this. The media keeps this in front of us. Geopolitical. Okay, problems. What's going on? I mean, the big one, of course, is the Ukraine. And, um, you know, people talking about it. I'll tell you something, it's a little scary because there's a lot of politicians who want to get us into a war with Russia. That's a war we can't win. I, want, I hope you understand. That's a war we can't win. It's a war that will escalate to nuclear war. And, um, you know, anybody who thinks that the United States could win a nuclear war against Russia or Russia can win a nuclear war, nobody wins. And so there, there are kooks, I think really kooky people in Washington, Democrats and Republicans. And by the way, you know what I believe this is? America's focus on the Ukraine, but it, it, I, I personally believe it could have been solved very, very easily by just simply NATO saying we will not accept the Ukraine into, uh, into NATO. You know, Russia, Russia doesn't want NATO next door to them with weapons and nuclear weapons. Nor would we want Russia on our Canadian border, right? or on a Mexican border. It could have been solved very easily. But they, they, they play. And by the way, this is a great smokescreen that keeps the American people from focusing on the problems here and what's going on here. You see in the news, it's like, it's like Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And a terrible thing that's going on there. It's not in denial. But it's, it, I, I believe it's a smokescreen. But again, in the midst of these, and we can go on and we can talk about many other things, geopolitical things, economic things, in the midst of this, nobody really talks about a nation in a moral crisis. And I personally believe that, I, I feel we are more threatened as a nation by what's going on here than what's going on in Iran or North Korea or China or Russia. I think the greatest threat, and you study you study history and civilizations, how many of them, they didn't fall from without, they crumbled from within. And we are, we are a nation in a major moral crisis. And um, I think you look at something tonight, and I, I ask the question, is time running out? So the sin, okay, that we'll look at, and again, we're in Leviticus chapter 20 as we're going through, is child sacrifice. Okay, that's, that was the, the sin, the, the big forbidden sin that God, you know, said to Israel. And if you look at Leviticus chapter 21 through 5, then the Lord spoke to Moses, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, Molech was an, an, an idol, he shall surely be put to death. Okay, the death penalties. Child, child sacrifice carried with it the death penalty. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. 
And then watch this, and it says, And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man, in other words, they're going to look the other way. Your neighbor offered up his son to Molech, and you, know, you decide, I'm going to look the other way. And uh, when he gives some of his descendants to Molech, and they do not kill him, so they don't stone him. Then I will set my face against the man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. So, again, child sacrifice is forbidden, okay, and it carries with it the death penalty. But when people look the other way and they ignore evil, they refuse to take a stand and speak out against uh, evil, God says, I, I will cut him off. And actually, what the word cut off, he will cut off the head of the family. Well, let's say this. He will cut off the head of the family, not meaning that he will cut off his head, but the, the head of the family, the man, is the one who then is going to experience you know, the punishment and, uh, and essentially the, the death penalty. So this is repeated in the law, in the Torah, and then it's repeated over and again and over again by the prophet. So I'm gonna, you're going to have to read through some scripture with me for the next few minutes. I want to share with you. So Jeremiah chapter 19 four through nine. Jeremiah is prophesying, right, in the, in the time before Babylon is destroyed. And in verse four of chapter 19, he says, because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, because they have burned incense in it to other gods from neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known, and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal uh, to burn their sons with fire, for burnt offerings to Baal, uh, which I did not command or speak, nor did I, uh, it come from uh, into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Topheth. And by the way, Topheth means the beating of the drums. Do you remember that message? The beating of the drums. They would, they would sacrifice the children in the fire, the cries of the babies would be drowned out by the continuous beating of the drums. Topheth. But it says, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, uh, but the valley of slaughter. Do you know the, the valley of the son of Hinnom, what Jesus spoke about it? The valley of the son of Hinnom became, essentially, that was the place where these children were being sacrificed, and eventually it was turned into a garbage dump. And it was a garbage dump in the time of Jesus. What did Jesus call it? Gehenna. I'll show you that. I'll show you that in a moment. And it says, And I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword for, before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives. Their corpses I will give as meat. Now watch this. This is, this is crazy. Because this is what happened. When Babylonians encompassed Jerusalem, they had no food. They had no water. And they were starving to death. And watch what it goes on to say. Their corpses I will give as meat for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of its plagues, and I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. Turn towards cannibalism. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. So again, because of the sacrifice of the children to Moloch and Baal, 
this brought the destruction. And again, the, the valley, uh, and this is, these are some modern pictures, um, it, is, it is the valley of Hinnom, but it is Gehenna, which Jesus used, again, the smoldering fire of the dump of calling it hell. And um, this is what it looks like today. There's a, you know, a picture from, uh, from above. Uh, we, drive, we drive back and forth through this valley. Actually, this is a, a, a picture, a common picture of, um, of what it looks like. It's just a desolate area now. There's, you know, there's no dump there. So, again, they were sacrificing their children to, um, to Molech in that, in that place. So, in Ezekiel, chapter 16, 20 through 22, again, the prophets, the prophets are, are, are crying. They're seeing this. I mean, living in a time of such evil. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Micah, they're, they're prophesying about, you know, that you have to repent. You have to turn away from your evil or, you know, destruction's going to come upon you. The Babylonians are going to come down. They're going to destroy you. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill your children. And he's, you know, they're, they're preaching this. So Ezekiel chapter 16, 20 through 22, Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured, where you, your acts of harlotry, a small matter, that you have, notice what God says, that you have slain who? My children. My children, right? The, the, the scripture teaches children are a gift of God to you. But they are sacred stewardship, right? You only have them for a short time. And you raise them up in the way of the Lord, and hopefully when they reach, you know, a good age of accountability and maturity, they can go on and they can, you know, they can provide for themselves and they could be good, upstanding, right, citizens and people of God. But they're his, they're not ours, our parents need to realize that. We need to recognize that. And so you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire and all your abominations and acts of harlotry. You did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, struggling in, in, in your blood. So they're offering up these, these children, they're God's children, to Molech. What is behind Molech? Yeah, and the scripture makes that clear. Behind Molech, behind these idols were demons. Demons that hate God and literally a bloodlust to see God's creation destroyed. Little babies. Even, uh, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 37 to 38. And shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to their idols of Canaan, and the lamb was polluted with blood. So behind, behind the idol is a demon, okay, that's essentially being worshipped by these people as they offer up children to them. So go back to the, to the sin of Manasseh. What is, you know, the sin of Manasseh? So if, if you look at, at 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 5 through 6, and he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire, practice soothsaying, use witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. By the way, there's a real connection there, and we'll see this next week. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. But King Manasseh, who was King Manasseh's father? One of the most righteous kings, Hezekiah. 
It's amazing, right? This, this godly man. That's why you, there's no guarantee you could be the most godly parents in the world. Doesn't mean that your children are going to turn out to be godly. And we want to raise them up in the way of the Lord, right? And then they won't wander. But still, we've seen, I mean, Samuel's two sons were, were incredibly ungodly. Uh, Aaron's sons were ungodly. And um, Hezekiah is this, I mean, tower of, of, of you know, moral strength. And his son was one of the most ungodly people. So, um, kind of a, a sad thing. So, go through... 2 Kings 21, 10 through 15. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, right? he has acted more wickedly than uh, the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. And it's something with America. We think of America as, as a righteous country. We are one of eight countries that murder the unborn. You know, the Muslim countries don't abort their babies. That's why they look at us and they call us the great Satan. One of the many reasons. They also, you know, they stand against pornography. They, they, take, a, they take a stand against, against many sins in the Bible. But we, you know, North Korea aborts their babies. China aborts their babies. <laughs> Think of whose company we're in. Right? Abortion on demand. That's who we're... But we're the, we're the righteous. We're, we're the righteous country of the world. So, um, Manasseh is doing what the Amorites were doing. Verse 12, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judea, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet, of the house of Ahab, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in the sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. So because of Manasseh's sin of sacrificing his son, He's, he's a future king of Israel. Because of that sin. Now, what did Manasseh do later in life? Anybody know? He repented. Manasseh, I mean, you look at this, and Manasseh repented. He was carried off to Babylon. We have this again. It's, it's, it's in the scriptures. And he repented. He turned to the Lord. So look, look uh, again, one more long passage. Second Chronicles 33, 10 through 17. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, watch this, he implored the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him and he received his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into the kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. He got saved. <laughs> Look at verse 14. After this, he built a wall outside of the city of David on the west side of Gihon. 
in the valley as the entrance of the fish gate and it enclosed Ophel and he raised it to the very height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idols. Right? You see real action in his you know, repentance from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount uh, of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city and he also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only uh, to the Lord their God. So it's still some mixed paganism there. So two generations later, his, his, his grandson, who was Manasseh's godly grandson, Josiah. Do you know Josiah was the greatest king of Israel? Josiah, Josiah is called by God the greatest of all kings. And uh, King Josiah, is a, I mean, he's a great study on living a, a godly, righteous life. So if you look here, um, you have the, you know, the genealogy of the kings. Uh, I'll just look down here. You, you have, um, as we come down, you have Hezekiah, Manasseh. Manasseh had a son named Amon. Amon was evil. And Amon had a son named Josiah. In fact, I, there it is. This is better for you. Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah. And um, Josiah's, Josiah's sons turned out to be not you know, so good. But Josiah, let me show you, see what God, what a, what a token God says about Josiah. 2 Kings 23, 25 through 27. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. He's the greatest king. He's even here saying he's greater than David, at least in his relationship with God and his, his morality, his righteousness. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn. Watch this. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. God forgave Manasseh of his sins, but Manasseh still had to deal with the consequences and his children, his children, his children had to deal with the consequences of his sins. We need to take to heart, right? When we sin, you take a stone, you throw it into a still pond, and there's a ripple effect. And that's what our sins, our sins have a ripple effect, not only on the people around us right now, but on the generations that will follow us. So you would, you would have thought, right, it all would have been made better, it all would have been fixed because of the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Even though Josiah is the most godly and righteous king, and the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and I will cast off the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. So even though Manasseh repented, and then his grandson, Josiah, is this righteous king, the sin and the consequences of the sin would still carry with it a great penalty. Who knows, who knows what happened to Josiah at the end of his life? This man, this godly man, and I want, to, I want to show you what happened. He died in battle. Yeah, he was killed in, he was killed in battle with, uh, against the Egyptians. Watch, and, and just, I'll just, this is a tidbit 
just take this little tidbit with you, kind of take you off the beaten path. But Second Chronicles 35, 20 through 22. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out uh, against him. But he sent messengers to him saying, what have I to do with you, king of Judah, right, the king of uh, Egypt? What do I have to do? I have, I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God, now watch this, he says, <clears throat> for God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God. God apparently was speaking to Necho, king of Egypt. And Josiah didn't quite buy into it. So uh, he says, refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Old Josiah had to say, you know what, this is, this is God moving Necho, right, against the Babylonians. I'm just going to step back. But nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Apparently, God was speaking to this pagan king. And so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. He was killed there. He was killed. It just didn't take heed. I think sometimes, I mean, maybe you'd have a hard time. If it was a believer telling you and, you know, giving you guidance or rebuking you, that's easy. But here's coming from a pagan king, who apparently God was speaking to, maybe, you know, a little lack of discernment and it cost him his life. The most righteous king of all of Israel. So I'll come back again. Um, Manasseh's sin. Right, an abomination to God, sacrificing his son. Why is this such an abomination to God? And um, Genesis 1, 26, 27, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them be, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in an image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Because we are created in the image of God. The animals are not. The trees are not. Right? The planets are not. The universe is not. We are. We are the prize of God's creation, created in his image and likeness. That's why the shedding of human blood is, is forbidden. Uh, right there, before the law was given, in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, to Noah, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast, I will require it, and from the hand of man... From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he has made him. And he said, the giving of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not murder. By the way, that's important. Thou shalt not murder. It's not thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill is a poor translation of the passage. It's thou shalt not murder. Because it's talking about, obviously, God prescribed the death penalty. So, But it, there's a difference between premeditated murder... And the taking of an innocent life. So, you know, the Bible teaches you have a right to protect yourself. You have a right to protect. If you're, you're leaving tonight and somebody attacks you, you have a right to protect yourself. You may kill them in defense. You have a right to protect your family. A nation has the right to protect its sovereignty as a nation. Right? That's, that's the scriptures teach that there is a, you know, a just war. But we do not have the right to take an innocent life. We do not have the right to for a premeditated murder. So then it kind of brings us to where we are tonight in America. And, um, right, just this 
crazy craziness going on, right? Since this letter was released, and I mean, the left is 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 in an uproar. I've never seen people who will seems like they will fight like hell for the right to kill babies. Have you ever seen anything like that? They'll fight like hell, like hell, to kill babies. And you see them, right? You see them, the president, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the Republicans are in there too. The, the senator, the woman from Maine, she's a Republican, she's appalled at this. And they, you know, the media, you see MSLSD and CNN, and these people are, 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 are venomous. That they, 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 how can you dare take the right from us to kill babies? I wonder... If you showed them a video of abortion and the baby being dismembered, cut apart in the womb, and it's basically screaming, crying out, and then being sucked out by a vacuum and being assembled on the table, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, if if they still were so adamant, how evil can you be? How wicked can you be? How How actually depraved could you be? Right? America at, at this juncture has aborted 62 million children. 62 million babies. By the way, yesterday the president, he called it an aborted baby. Did you see that? He slipped up. I mean, this guy is, he's just so good for us. He, he just said, an aborted baby, because they don't, they don't, they say it's a fetus. But he called it a baby. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what the Bible calls it a brephos. A baby. So we 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 are at a, a we are at a very interesting juncture in American history. Have we gone too far? And so people are all excited on the right, right? They're they're all excited that you know it looks like you know R V Wade. By the way, that if R V Wade is thrown over. Uh, overturn. There are some states that will be completely outlaw abortion. There's, I think, 21 of them. But most are still going to, New Jersey is still going to have abortion. You'll probably see more abortion mills open up in New Jersey and New York. Their corporation, Citigroup, today said, we're going to give women $4,000 and pay their way to the states that they can have abortions in. They're amazing corporations. Um, Amazon said the same thing today. So, um, so here, you know, so here we are. So, wait, you know, I'm, I'm going to share just again that prophetic word from Second Chronicles seven thirteen through fourteen. It says, "When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people." Sounds like America in the day we're living in. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. By the way, this is spoken to Israel, but I believe there is an application here to us in America. Look at, look at our country. You know, our country, we are experiencing judgment, folks, <laughs> in, in so many different ways. And, you, you know, you look at, so you've got, you got wildfires burning up our forests, more forest and land burned up than ever before. You've got, you've got tornadoes, right? I mean, now tornadoes even coming up to the East Coast. In the midst of that, you, you, you have floods happening in multiple places. We've seen, we've seen massive hurricanes. We've got, we've got riots in our streets. 
You've got absolute lawlessness where groups of people just go in and take whatever they want from a store. You've got, you've got massive amounts of people being shot and killed in these, in these, these, these gang-infested cities. And by the way, that's not Chicago or New York. That's Memphis. That's Memphis this year. And, you're, you know, you, you've, got, you've got just two sides that are, I mean, I'll tell you, I've been saying this, we're ready for a civil war. I know people who are, let me tell you, I know people who are completely prepared right now, right now, tonight, to go to war in this country. Totally prepared. Trained, aimed, and ready to go and, and fight, fight a, a civil war in this land. You've got, you've got an opioid ad, uh, you know, epidemic. I mean, people just ignore this. The drugs that are coming in, the, the human trafficking coming in over the border, and people just dying. And they just, they just ignore it. They, oh, we care so much. Oh, our politicians, they care so much about us. They care about power. They care about power. And then you got Putin... Threatening nuclear war. I heard some idiot <laughs> trying to say that we have a defense system that will stop nuclear weapons. Let me just explain this to you real quick. I'll do this real quick. Russia, Russia has typhoon submarines. We have Trident submarines. They're pretty much, they're, they're very similar. The Russian submarine is a little bit bigger and carries a little bit more power. The Russian submarine carries, carries 20 nuclear missiles. And those nuclear missiles, when they go up into space, they deploy 10 nuclear warheads. So could you do the math with me? What's 10 times 20? 200. These are right off, they're right off the coast of the, uh, of the they're, they're, they're on our coast in the Atlantic Ocean, they're on our coast in the Pacific Ocean, and they're in down in the Gulf. One submarine can deploy 200 nuclear missiles, okay, 200 nuclear warheads. Could take out every city. You pull, up a, you pull up a nuclear map, I mean, it, we're gone. We're gone. And, um, you know, you got him, and you got also the, 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 the North Korea doing the same thing. So just, I just want to say, it's a little disturbing tonight. But where, you know, where are we in the midst of this as a church? And I want to tell you something. I think, and I believe, for the most part, the church is asleep. I believe the church is, I mean... Hey, if you preached a message like this in most churches, you have the people in an uproar. But the church, the church is the church is asleep. And instead, instead of I think, hey, we can't fight a war, but we can fight a war on our knees. So I, I, I want to, I'm going to end, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to cut into a little time here. I believe the church is asleep in the light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The church is asleep in the night. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to end this by just challenging those of you who are here tonight. First, you know, you know what would make a person asleep in the night, uh, asleep in the light? In other words, you're in the church. But the first thing, you talk about Jesus, but aren't genuinely experiencing him. I see this a lot. The Christian, they talk, you know, they talk Christianese, but are you experiencing him? 
His love, His grace, His mercy, His power in your life. Second, your relationship with Jesus is uh, a weekend thing that, and, and instead of then an, every, uh, an every day of the week thing. That's true, I think, of a lot of people in this church. They're weekend Christians. They, you know, give God their Sundays. Where is he the rest of the time in their lives? I, I don't know if he's there at all. I think that, that's a good, you know, that's a evidence of somebody being asleep in the light. A third is your spiritual experience is an outside deal instead of an inside real deal. So it's just, it's outside. It's going through the motions. That's what Israel was doing. Amazing that they could be, you know, standing there, they're sacrificing their children to Molech, but they're just going through the mo They're still going to church. They're still going to the temple. Uh, another, uh, I think, evidence of being asleep in the light is you remain the same. Just, you're the same. You're the same as you were a month ago, a year ago, five years ago, ten. There's no difference, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be growing in the knowledge and the grace. And I'll tell you, I, I, I know one area I've been growing in, and that's my fear of the Lord. And I'll tell you something, my anger against sin. That's absolutely true. Now, I'm very, very aware of that. But we should, we should be growing. Uh, another, you are more concerned about the role God is playing in your plans than the role you are playing in His plans. I know we say, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, right? Keith Green sang. Yeah, I loved Keith Green. Keith Green was a, was a, if you know who he is, you can find him on YouTube preaching and, and singing. He was a prophet of, his, of the times of the 1980s, and he was a prophet to a young generation, and I was a young Christian when I got saved. I used to listen to Keith all the time, and you know, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. That's all I ever hear. No one hurts. No one cries. No one even sheds a tear. And he says, but Jesus, he cries, he weeps, he grieves. And his people just keep, just go, they're just going through their routine. Uh, another, I think, evidence of, you know, of living, um, being asleep in the light, you are living spiritually unnoticed. Do the people around you know you're a Christian? I said, I, I was in the dojo training last night, and I noticed, I noticed something. I've gotten to know them all. I've got a couple of them that, they weren't going to come to church Sunday. Sunday's Mother's Day. I, have, I want them to come the following week, two guys. One guy's ex-CIA. He's ex-CIA, ex-Navy SEAL. Tough guys. But I noticed this about them. They were dropping F-bombs all the time. No curse the last few weeks. I didn't, I didn't say to them, hey, listen, you can't curse. Don't take the Lord's name. I didn't do that. I just, they, they're noticing something there that, you know, just do people notice your faith? Unbelievers, do they notice your faith? Uh, the next, again, asleep in the light. You live for the moment instead of for eternity. Right? That's true. So many they live for the moment. They don't. They don't have an eternal perspective. Uh, the next, you don't feel that there is a problem being asleep in the light. That's Laodicea, right? I'm fine. Everything's okay. Everything's wonderful. 
And they have no awareness of their, of their spiritual condition. And then uh, the last here. You have little passion for God's glory and the lost souls. Does it, does it infuriate you? And it should. Because I, I think when, when I look at Jesus and what he saw the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes doing you know, to the faith... I see it with Paul, you know, in these pagan lands and people worshiping these idols. And then the prophets, they were, they, they, were, they were infuriated when they see God's name being defamed. And, um, you know, we should be infuriated when we see that. We should, I mean, do we love him enough that when we see his name mocked, And then we should also have a love for the lost souls. I think those are, those are I, I do believe, as Keith Green, I think if Keith was alive today, I think he would be more appalled at what he would see in the church than what he was seeing in the 1980s. I've seen a steady decline. I've seen a steady decline in, in, in Christianity. And just, I mean, Christian leaders who... They just, I mean, it's just this mamby, pamby. I mean, they, they don't even speak out against the wickedness and the evil around them. And, oh, we just want to preach, preach salvation, you know, salvation by grace. Well, you, people have to be aware of their sin before they can understand grace. So the law was always proclaimed before grace. And people don't know why. They don't know why they're coming to the Lord you know, and you see people coming to, I'm coming to the Lord because I want to have a happier life. I'm, I'm coming to the Lord because I, I want to be a happier person or I want to be more sex, successful. I want to have more money. And, and in, instead of you come to the Lord because you want to be saved from the very pit of hell. But they don't know that. So Jesus, it's like, I mean, I mean, you might as well just go to a Tony Robbins seminar. He'll teach you how to be successful. But Jesus didn't come to make successful. He came to make us saved. <laughs> Success is ultimately expressed in salvation. I hope you're moved to prayer, not just for a few minutes here as we wrap up. I hope you're moved to prayer to pray. Pray for this nation. We need a revival. I don't, again, I don't know. We may, have, we, we may already have gone off the edge here. It doesn't matter for me. I look at my children and my grandchildren. I look at your children and your grandchildren. It matters for them. For your babies, for your kids, your young people married. We've lived, we've lived most of our life. But I, 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 I still, I, I pray. I pray for revival for America every day. I pray for righteousness, that, that God will exalt a nation of righteousness and he will tear down an evil and wicked nation. We are, we are not that nation of righteousness. And we, need, we, we, are, the heart of, we are the heart of America, folks. We're the remnant. We're what's left. And we need to be praying. I think we need to be praying and be praying consistently for a, a, a revival to break out in this country, in this nation. And I, again, hope we're not too late. I don't know. 
Heavenly Father, I just want to ask you, Lord God, to impress your word, this sin of Manasseh, Lord, that, Lord God, even in his repentance, even in his grandson's, Lord, godly life, he still, it, it, it was just too far, and judgment came, and I don't know, Lord God, I don't, I don't stand here to assume that I know your very mind in these things, but I know this, that we need to be praying, Lord God. We need to be standing up against evil. And Lord God, we need to stand firm for the truth. And Lord God, we need to be pleading out to you, Lord God. Change the hearts of the people in this nation. Turn them, turn them towards you. And Lord God, bring them and us to repentance. Let it start with us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Folks, stand with me. We'll close in prayer. A song. And whatever. Either way, uh, for those of you who are just hearing more about Roe v. Wade and paying attention to abortion and things like that and the laws that are being put forward, there's a new term called perinatal. We know what prenatal is, right? Come to the altars if you'd like to pray. Let's come. We'll just have a time at the altars and worship before we end the service. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, the altars are open for you. So remember this word, perinatal. That means afterbirth. So the new laws they're trying to push through and have successfully is that they can terminate a life in a perinatal condition. That's basically after they're born. So with that heaviness on our hearts and a gratefulness that perhaps this evil law will change and people will see the darkness that's surrounding us. God is the giver of life and we align ourselves with him. This is from First uh, Chronicles 22, 19. He is the light of our eyes. Jesus, you are the delight of my day.
your feet. 